0: Welcome to another episode of the Shape and Design podcast where we talk to designers from all walks of life and discuss their stories, strategies, and tactics so that you can become a better designer. I'm your host and guacamole inhaler, Mitchell Bernstein. Today, we had a very special guest, Matthew Salvaggio, who is the founder and head of Blaze Type. A type foundry and as a type enthusiast myself i tried to skip some of the more common questions about typography like what's the difference between a typeface and a font but if you're new to this area of design don't worry you're still gonna find this interesting we went into so much detail about the business of typography about running a type foundry about how we decide to sell the right typeface etc etc amazing really a great podcast you gotta listen to it Also, we're doing a little contest to win a copy of Matthew's book, which teaches you step-by-step on how to make a typeface. And if you won for free, listen up. We'll be giving it away to three lucky winners. All you gotta do is you gotta take a screenshot of giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, write a review, and then mention that screenshot to me on Twitter at Bernstein. And before we dive in, just wanna say I launched a framework template you can check it out in the description below and quickly spin up your documentation hub for your web app or company in seconds. And as always, we want to thank Framer for sponsoring this podcast. So go check out the link in the description if you want a major discount off of your next Framer site. And please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're watching or listening to this, whether it's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Substack, wherever it is, subscribe, like, share. It helps us grow. and It helps us keep giving you great free things. Now, here's my conversation with Mathieu Salvaggio. Thanks for coming on the pod. For sure. I, can I ask, and this is very embarrassing, how do I pronounce your name?
1: Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the classic question. Of, of everybody in the US usually asks me that, so no worries. Um, you can call me Matt, makes it Matt. things easier. Okay.
0: But I want to know, like, how do you actually pronounce your name?
1: In French? Uh, yes. That, that would be Mathieu. Mathieu, Mathieu. I'm never gonna get this. Mathieu. <laughs> <laughs> the the is kind of hard thing to pronounce for all English speakers. Yeah. But you can go yeah. Mathieu or Matt. Either is fine. Okay, me.
0: Matt, Matt, Matt. It is. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Um, sure. How how you doing? What's going on? Uh, well, you got an email saying hey. Uh, why don't you come on to the pod from another former guest, Paul? Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your thoughts on that originally?
1: About oh, the podcast? Yeah, the podcast with Paul or me being here?
0: Well, both actually. Both. <laughs> but
1: but but you coming on the pod? Okay. Well, you know, it's always um, I always like talking about type and anything related about that. So I was excited to be part. Oh, uh, such adventures. So pretty excited. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to speak about design and stuff. So, you know,
0: Uh you, you haven't done, I, I couldn't really find too much stuff, Um, but it seems like the internet was really excited for this podcast. Oh. Uh, a lot of questions from our listeners. So we'll probably get more into those in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I want to give you the opportunity to kind of give your spiel of who you are, what you do, and where you're at now.
1: Okay. The big questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So my name is Mathieu. I'm the founder of BlazeType. She's a type design company um, focusing on designing viable fonts and for the retail catalog and custom fonts for different clients. Um, it's based in France. Uh, we're between uh Lyon and Marseille mostly, though I do spend some time in Paris as well. Um, and you know, like it's uh always hard to explain not to explain but to describe exactly what it is that we do. Like we, we try to be um very contemporary in the way we design fonts. We are very keen on the technical aspects of the fonts themselves. Uh, because as you know, fonts are pieces of design for sure, but it's mostly software in reality. And so we do spend a lot of time on the technical aspects of the software to make it work as best as possible on any platform. And you know, the viable font thing is kind of a, even though it's not that young, it's still a new kind of technology uh, and still being implemented. So we do spend a lot of time on making the viable fonts behave properly, across platforms. So,
0: okay. So basically, just to recap, you run a, 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 a type foundry mm-hmm. and you create custom fonts for Uh, clients, but also you have fonts that are more affordable for plebes like myself and my colleagues to be able to afford. And these are and for those who are listening, um, full disclosure, I did buy your font pack. Oh, nice. I fell in love with it after Paul suggested it. I was like, yeah, I got to get this. And (laughs) it's really good. Um, So I want to dive into specifically in the beginning of this podcast, the business side of running a type foundry and how that operates and feel free to say no to any question you feel uncomfortable answering or you don't want to talk about so I'm not going to force you to say anything you don't want to say but I think um, the listeners would really love to know about this kind of stuff.
1: You know, I'm uh, I don't think he'll be asking anything we don't want to to answer yeah, sure. so I'm pretty open with anything <laughs> especially with the business aspect of the foundry because um a lot of people um, are interested about the business aspect of running a design. Um, but most don't really know how to do that. So I usually give free advices or show people how to do stuff. So I'm completely open talking about it.
0: Awesome. Actually, let's, let's dive right in. So how do you run a Type Foundry? What's the first thing you should know?
1: About... Uh, like launching your own foundry, yeah, all right um so I guess it will depend on two different factors first is uh, one are you a type designer or are you um like a, a business person trying to make a buck on of type design because there there's two ways of approaching this right and but let's talk more about the Let's say, like, you're a type designer and you want to have your own platform for any reason. Um, so, uh, 100% honest, right now, if I was young again, like, uh, I wouldn't launch Foundry right now. Why? Um, well, when I launched Blaze Type, it was like six or seven years ago, the market was completely different. Um, especially about the licensing part of it. So I, I created BlazeType because I wanted, I didn't find any foundry that had the, um, the, like the, the concept of distributing and the licensing and the easy access to the font that I, that we, uh, push forward with BlazeType. So nothing like that existed. Uh, most of the foundries around where this kind of, Dull is not the word, but it's, they were very classic in terms of what they would prefer in terms of font. Aside from maybe two or three foundries, most were very keen on designing classic fonts, like your uh, sensory flight, your, your time's like and stuff like that. Uh, but back then, there was not a lot of competition in terms of having super cool, super good licensing for people. And now it's the case, like we have a, a lot of different foundries. Uh, Dynamo has a crazy cool uh, kind of licensing. Uh, uh, NAN is a very good one that they recently released. I think we have a pretty decent one as well. So uh, that's plus the fact that there's a lot of different companies around that offer the possibility for youngsters to design and develop and produce and distribute uh, display fonts or uh, first font. And, et cetera. and I think it will be wiser to, you know, drop your design in different foundries that you like, uh, try, you know, to build yourself up and maybe, okay, if you really want to have your own place, do it. um but I wouldn't, I really wouldn't go through the struggle because it's such a lot of work.
0: Wait, but like, but what, what, what's so much work about it?
1: Well, okay. So. Uh, if we cover the uh the whole website aspect of it, because um, like if you go on the on the website of Blazetype, for example, like you have the design and everything and and we try to make it as loose as possible. So, you know, you click on the font, you click on the license you want, to purchase it and you receive it and everything is cool and perfect. Um, but if you see the back office of it, it's super complex. Because you're dealing with uh, data, with personal data. So there's a lot of laws about that. And uh, you obviously have to work with lawyers for the licensing part of it. Uh, French IP, something English IP, something USA IP, something. So you don't have to hmm. work a bit around that. Uh, you're handling money. So obviously you have to do, to be super good on the tax and the VAT and the distribution of that. And so, and that's just like the, the boring stuff. Right. Um, you're not, you still have to, you know, promote the website, promote the work, find designers, hire them, produce, distribute. So there's a, like, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, that plus, you know, designing your own stuff and making money until your company is making enough and, you know, have this kind of snowball thing going on.
0: Well, it sounds a lot like like running just like a regular design agency, uh, where you hire designers to create work for other people. Except this, you you're creating something that can be reproduced and sold to a lot of people, and that one thing actually might take a really long time to make.
1: Yes. Um, so about the the timing of the creation of a font, it's um, it really depends. Because you sometimes you have fun families that are very display-like and that, that can be easily designed. By. I mean, by easily, I mean, someone who knows his way around it. In, in a month or less, you can have a typeface family. Um, but depending on the complexity of the design, it take, it can take several months, several years. And uh, sometimes you see, like, even us, sometimes we release really stuff and say, like, after four years of development, it doesn't really mean that we spent four years on a daily basis working on the on the project, but you know sometimes a good thing to do with retail font is to uh, create a few glyphs and let them rest somewhere and open them back a months later and rebuild on it and you go you do that back and forth until you have sort of a core thing in the pipeline that is good and then you move forward with the whole development um, it
0: really sounds like you're taking it almost like a ceramic like item like you put it into the the kiln, you let it burn and, then you you know, after it's kind of like it's cooled off and you're able to do more stuff with it, that's kind of a cool like perspective on. i never really th- heard of anyone saying, yeah, you just throw it out there. You leave it for a little bit and then you come back to it later. It's that You said that. It's, yeah,
1: that that's also like the I know Paul wanted to know why the why we were named blaze. Um, yeah, but it's related to that, like back in the old days, uh, Foundries, like the, the term foundry is an historical term because obviously we don't melt um, metal to have type metal in type, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, we still call ourselves uh, blah, blah, foundry. Um, but yeah, back then you, you still had to, you know, melt the metal into type and everything. So you, you had this kind of uh, hot and cold kind of process, you know, liquid metal becoming cold type. Um, But nowadays, you don't have this uh, hot and cold aspect of the design, of course. But type is, uh, since the the viable technology and the the multiple masters that we designed, uh, I feel like type is more of a liquid uh, matter right now than this static file.
0: I was actually going to ask you about why you named it blaze type and i thought it was like a 420 reference like a joke or plenty. what is that yeah like, like you're blazing up like i know <laughs> <laughs> i was like why is it called bla-? okay i guess i mean i don't know um but, okay that actually makes more sense and it's actually a lot more sincere mm. um so okay so the business side of handling the foundry is you know similar to other businesses where there's a lot of headache and trying to manage people manage uh, clients and and customers, data and legal stuff. But what about like the actual like typeface itself? You know, you, you mentioned briefly, that you said you, you do a couple glyphs and you put it on the shelf, but like what goes into then the business side of deciding what typeface you should be making next? Like what's, is it a marketing thing? Is it like a, like, is there a need in the market you mm. you see? And you're like, you know what? I'm going to do something that fits like a, like a grotesque that people are really gravitating towards or, or something mm. like that
1: that's a very good question um it depends on on whoever is running the the foundry right um for example the, the aria font family that we have on blaze uh, i designed this font family because like i was looking at the different fonting in use that we had from people and we had a lot of people using our fonts for display using uh, but they would match the font with a different uh, grotesque or sans-serif to, to have the kind of balance. And usually they wouldn't match it with sort or the other sense that we have, that we had, sorry. <laughs> so I decided to design something that could be that uh, quiet, but still warm kind of font family that you could match with all the different typeface display that we have. And in that manner, ARIA was designed as more of a, uh, like filling a gap in the Foundry catalog. But aside from ARIA, most of the designs we have and most of the uh, typeface that we released, um like we don't do a background analysis of the market on what's there, what's missing, and what's the trend. We just design stuff. And most of the things that are released are like either me or Leon, someone stumbled across a very good designer with a good project and we're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. We want to release this. And we don't really care much about like whether or not it's going to work in terms of money. You know, like we just want to have a, a super cool product and if it's good, maybe I don't know, like, it's, Um. I think that when you start thinking too much about what you need to do to make money with your product, like, you kind of lose it in a way, you know, like, because there's, like, it's not rocket science, like, if you want to make money, design sans serif and gold test, like, everybody does, but at some point, is that the thing that uh, you know, drives you the most is that, like, the, did you work all these years analyzing all fonts are just to wake up every morning and design uh, so
0: OK, so let me ask you this then. Which is your most popular typeface?
1: So here is, then you would have to explain to me what you mean by popular. Most bought. Most bought. Yeah. Which one was most purchased? Um, I don't have the recent data, but I think Aria is definitely Aria. The, 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 the the one that is the most used. Um, but I think and, the most popular is APOC, for example. Really? Yeah, how would you define popularity then? Well, uh, I would define it by like, what's in the um, I don't I don't think I have the English word for that, but you know, the, the, some to me, something that is popular is something that I see often, right? Uh, because APOC, for example. Uh, for a lot of years, was very popular among uh, students, young designers, and designers were keen on using display fonts. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh,
1: So at some point, like, I I remember talking with uh, friends in the US, saying, like, we tell me that they see the font everywhere, every day. Um, But it was behaving correctly in terms of sales, but it's not the kind of licensing big tech companies are going to buy, right? You're not going to use APOC for an app, for example. Okay. I mean,
0: yeah, it it would be rare for them to start to steer away and use a different typeface for a specific campaign because then it strays away from their brand and then become unrecognizable for that brand to use a special typeface
1: for one instance, right? Well, I I don't know. It depends on the brand, really, like, you. You know, you have some brands that are completely open to using different fonts on every campaign that they do and still maintain something coherent, I guess. Um, because, you know, it's like a one shot, like we, we, let's have a a, post, a, a poster for our, uh, our next event that is going to happen once a year or something like that. It's not a big deal to change your font and stuff like that. But what I mean is you have a, what I call system font which are the phones that a company is going to use on a daily basis, Uh, them, their users, uh, their employees, their their colleagues, whatever. And for the day-to-day needs, um, it's kind of hard to work with super expressive display phones because not everyone is a designer and not everyone can easily go around using phones like that, I think. Uh, that's also why um, big companies tend to go with the safest option, which is usually, you know, a, a, a cool, by cool, I mean like well done, well designed, family, like a quiet serif or a classic grotesque or neo grotesque. And um, because they're in the end, like we are all used to being, to, to use this font.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know it's familiar, so it's easy to go around. So, when you're thinking about
0: creating a new typeface, are you trying to then draw inspiration from things that you see, and then go, hmm, I kind of like that. Let's do something similar to that, or do you just have like, guys, I have a great idea for a new typeface. I just want to build it, see what happens, throw it out there, see if people like it. Because like I'm looking at uh, the first one you mentioned, uh, area. Mm-hmm. And uh that one has 88 styles behind it. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's like the weights, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 variations of that. And that's like a lot yeah. to begin with. Like let's let's be real. That's that's actually quite an investment to do. And so you really got to be committed to to doing that. And I guess now that typeface has become very versatile. Um, whereas Apoc has 26 styles to it. And although it's probably, what you said, the most popular one, or at least the most recently popular one, it's not as versatile in its its styling. So, so I, I guess, like, yeah, well, how, how, what do you think about that?
1: So, um, like, you you need to have the, the full story also behind these two false like, slides. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah please 20, share. You 20 see sty- 26 tires of APOC uh, uh, actually we updated the font family like a couple months ago and before that it was 12 style and when i released the font family in 2018 january it was three styles so it's not really about the number of styles per se apoc uh, at first there was apoc revelations apoc dark and italic and that was about it, and it did a massive hit. In any case, and um, Aria is a completely different story because when I started working on the Font family, I worked on the master, the regular master, and you know I was happy with the with the whole thing, and I decided like, okay, we need to expand this towards something uh, larger. Let's design the Black Master, so we have an interpolation and have different styles there. Okay. Do the same thing with something there. All right. And, and you know, it's always a question, a back and forth question and answer. Like at some point, I, I decided, okay, it would be interesting to have extended glyphs as well because I personally love using them in text and display. So, okay, let's have extended. And, okay, the Funk family is behaving good, but what about people who want to use them in super tiny size? Like, okay, let's do an intra version then. And, and the, the um, so for example, area is is very non conventional in the way the weights are being done, um, because there's 11 weights per category. So you have 11 weights on the classic normal, then the italic, then the extended, then the interest. That's why you have so many styles. Um, but it was desi- designed and decided this way because the idea of area is to represent uh what viable is, you know, when you have a very a viable font, you can have something very linear in the way the weight will behave, you know. You can change that and have something that, you know, scales. But I really like this kind of super smooth growing from one way to the other. And the static fonts of area try to represent that. So that's why you have this very thin Thing going on in the static. And so when you have all the styles together, you, you see this kind of waterfall of weight evolution. Um, so they were really designed, designed in different manner and for different purpose. Uh, sometimes we have, like, for example, a, a recent release that we have is CERT uh, uh I thought it would be funny to have a, a rounded version of CERT. Uh, so Tim and Leon work on that. And, um, and if you compare sort-rounded to the classic cert, there is a difference in the, in the amount of styles. Sort-rounded has less styles than the, um, than the classic cert because the round version on some super thin uh, weights doesn't make any sense. It doesn't show. So we decided to remove them.
0: Okay. So it's really contextual towards the typeface. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, but you mentioned something really interesting is that you like went back to typefaces you were already released and you continued and added more to them. Oh, yeah. So are these typefaces like living? Do they like breathe? Do they like, you know, they have like a life of their own? Like, of course, like you put it out to the world, five people buy it. But then you came back and you updated them. Why? Because it's fun. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's fine. That's awesome. That's, I, no, I, I mean, I, it's, I agree uh, that. It,
1: it's not only about fun, but, you know, like, it's, you know, oh, um, you're a graphic designer or a like director, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So do you sometimes look back at the work you did, like, a year or five years ago?
0: I look back at the work I did yesterday. Okay.
1: <laughs> How do you feel about it?
0: I hate everything I've done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, I don't have that my feelings are not that strong toward the work we yeah. do. But you know, your eye evolves, uh, it gets better, you're more keen to some details. Uh you get better at your at your job if you're, you know, caring for it. And sometimes like you design something and you're like, man, this is super good. I love it. Let's put it up there. And a week later, when I see it, I'm like, maybe we can improve this. Maybe we can improve that. Okay. So what I do is like I make a list of things that we can improve. And something, sometimes we, we make shadow release, I call them. It's like we update things. We don't tell anyone. Like we don't promote it. We sell emails to the people who have bought it saying like okay we updated the font like get the newest updates because uh, all the update like if, when you buy a font you get all the future updates for free and we update all the font families on a yearly basis that's a lot of work
0: oh wow yeah um, and you have a lot of typefaces so that's that's a lot of work
1: yeah we do have a lot now um but you know the the standard the technical standards evolves as well like um you you have decisions coming up on some font families. You have new additions to Unicode. You have, you know, some things are changing in the software we use to design fonts. So, you know, we sometimes you just have to reopen the file and change a few things and re and re uh, re the fonts. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, since we want to have most of the font families we, we share our. As viables, we have to get back to some of them and you know make them better sometimes, and you know there is always uh, the possibility of us of uh, you know missing something like it's uh, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of glyphs, it's a lot of uh, churning and hinting and blah 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 so you you at some point you miss something and you realize that like a week or so later and you have to dead it? It's rare. We try to, you know, make our investigation on everything that can be weird in the font family, in the in the way it behaves. But sometimes, you know, like mistakes happen. This is a weird question. What do you think about variable
0: typefaces? Because if you're designing specifically so many styles and different weights for a typeface, wouldn't you just set it as a variable and say, "Go at it"? Have fun, y'all. First of all, actually, for those who are listening, maybe we should explain what a variable typeface is yeah. or like the version of what a variable font is and then go
1: from there. Okay. So, um, okay. It's the auto-promo <laughs> time. Um, there's a, a, a whole chapter about viable fonts and what they are uh, in the core in the, the book re- release of Learn Type. And I'll put
0: that in the show notes for those who are listening.
1: Awesome. Um, To make it simple, uh, the difference between a static file and a variable. So when you purchase a font family, you have, let's say, Aria. And Aria is the name of the font family. Then you have different weights. Aria, regular, bold, bold, italic, etc. And all of these are static files that you can... Uh, install on their own. So you can install area regular, area Bold, area bold it up. Okay. A viable file is a single file that contains all the different styles of the font family. So for the example of area and the 88 styles it has, you would have 88 styles in the viable font. Uh, so the viable font, what is kind of awesome It's it's like you have all the different static files that you can select and use, but you also have the possibility to have anything that is in between those styles. So because you you give mathematical values to the weight, the italic, etc. So for instance, a regular regular, uh, weight value is 400, um, and the bold is 700, if I remember correctly. Uh, let's say you just have a viable font with two statics inside of it. You have the regular and you have the bold. But you can switch in between. Maybe you say like, the regular is too thin for me and the bold is too bold, but uh, 553 is perfect for my design. So you scale it exactly to that point and you use it. That's what is super exciting to me um, is giving the designers the possibility to tweak their tool because you, you can obviously use the statics that we design because we think they're good and you know it's the standards and you can definitely work with them but having you guys giving you guys the possibility to choose exactly what you need is uh you know like the cherry on top of the vanilla thank you for the that explanation that's that was
0: very insightful for people who don't understand. Cheers. So, so what? Uh, what's your thoughts on then selling that instead of doing all the styles and selling them individually?
1: Okay, so I don't want to spoil too much stuff, uh, but we are working on something in that matter.
0: Okay, okay, you heard it here, folks. First, it was here. <laughs> yeah,
1: true. <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay. Then I'll move on from that. Um, yeah. So, like I said, we talk a lot about the business, and, and that was actually originally asked from some of our, our audience, uh, our whole, uh, previous guest of the pod. He actually asked another interesting question: uh, Where did you get the inspiration to create APOC?
1: Oh. So we, um, I work with uh, a guy called uh, name. Sorry, uh, Sebastian with uh he, he writes most of the uh different articles that we have on blaze type. Uh and we've we've met years ago and uh back then like know, about 10 years ago I don't know we were talking with uh, another dude called Pierre and and Pierre had shown me like this uh like this iPhone taken photo of uh, of a cover with a, with a title, like engraved title with ligatures and in like cross letters and super weird shapes, uh, uh, Apocalypse de Saint-Jean, which is the uh, uh, revelations of, uh, of John. And I was like, oh man, this is super good. Like I, I love the design of it. So I just did, uh, you know, a basic style, Pen and tool stuff on the on the design, and then uh, I looked at it like, oh, that's very interesting. Like, um, okay, maybe I can change the whole thing and isolate and make letters. So it was really weird. Like you had like the super small O, oh, a very large P, and in between letters, etc. So it was definitely not uh, looking good at first. Um, but you know, like it had it has this super weird kind of serifs and it's like the, the ships were odd in a way. So, I, you know, I started working on the glyphs and the letters and, and, and I, I just had this basic set of capitals. And, and, you know, like most of the capitals, aside from the apocalypse, uh, were, you know, invented because we just had, I just had a few letters. So I had to imagine what the others would be. Um and then I started imagining what would be the lower case of these capitals. What would be the match in lowercase? And then what would be the punctuation of this? And then what would be the numbers and what would be the parentheses and so on. And then voila, you have the eight pock revelation. And um years later I asked Sebastian to find because i I had lost this uh, this piece of, of photo, and I asked him like to to find to find it and to and if he managed to have more information about it to you know write an article do something about it so uh, he has worked on something a large very large piece of paper uh, that explained the whole backstory, And this is super interesting because I designed the font family without any knowledge of this huge rabbit hole that was this just photo of a paper sheet. Like, it's I cannot tell more because the article is not online yet. We have to solve some uh, uh, some issues uh, before releasing it. Uh, but we'll be sure to send you a link once it, when it's up it should be up I hope by the end of January um, but the story is insane wow it's it's crazy
0: <laughs> okay cool we're gonna we're gonna have to keep a tab on that and and come back awesome. to that one but that gets me to my next part of this podcast. How do you actually design a typeface? What do you start with
1: uh that's a good question um so obviously, there is uh, to each their own, and everyone has their own method, their their own way of doing stuff. Uh, but I will share you my way of working. Um, I do stretch some stuff on paper sometimes, but it's but most of the time I uh, I work directly on the computer. Um, so, what I start to do. The first glyphs I always work on are very basic toward what you learn when you want to do typeface design. I always start with either a lowercase n or a lowercase o. Uh, move to a capital H, capital O. And Before these four y. glyphs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, these four glyphs give you all the information that you need in terms of width of the letters. In terms of uh, stem thickness, in the vertical or the horizontal uh, stems, it gives you all the information you need in terms of contrast. In terms of of the of the a of the different uh, lower case or the 8 of the uh, the capitals, uh, the relationship between the capitals and the lower case in terms of size, it gives you all the information that you need in terms of tension. Because all the, all the letters of the alphabet are derivative of these, in a way. Uh, for example, if you have your capital H, let's say. So you know you have your vertical stems and you have your horizontal stem, right? Uh, if you have those, then you can easily design a, a capital E. You know it. And if you have that, you can design your F. The app is not, but the app is not like just removing these parts. It's like you have to, know, to put this one below, change a few, a few sizes.
0: For those who are, are not listening or who are only listening and not watching, uh, he's using his hands to describe yeah. <laughs> the different letters. So it might be confusing for people who are listening. But but keep going. I'm, I'll I'll add notes to the to the pod. Um,
1: then you can like, and you know, it's like a... a designing type is like a puzzle game, like, you know, like if you have this piece and this piece, then you can find this one. And if you have this one plus this one, you can find this one. And you know, it. like, it's, uh, it's an ongoing process. Like, uh, but I really like to think of it as a discussion. Like, um, if my C and my O are this way, and my H and my L and my E are this way, what should be my B? And if I my B... What should be the P, and always the R related to that? And you know, like it's um, and it's like uh, you know, back in uh, questions and answers to all the different shapes. And it's kind of funny when you hear type designers looking at the font and discussing because you know sometimes it's like it, it's it's not only about like, it, does this make sense? It's um, it's more like, uh, do you think it's uh, a good answer to uh, to the whole discussion? You know. Um but yeah yeah, like you have your, your core glyphs that you want to design first and once they are done you know like you have the basic round that you need to design the whole fold family and what's awesome is at some point when you're a bit experienced with uh, with this uh, with this work just looking at a few glyphs you can already picture the whole thing you know and this is why it's becoming uh, even greater to work in this field is not only do you see what the full family would look like, but you also picture where it should go as well, like the different weights and the different styles it will have and why it's going to be good to have these different styles because of the, like you, you see, you try to picture the whole process forward.
0: Okay, so that's how you start. Then, how do you know when, like, the typeface is done?
1: There's no done, per se, like, here, I have heard other type designers saying, like, uh, I finish my font and that's, it's it's a lot of BS to be honest. Like there's no way to finish a font family. It doesn't make any. It doesn't doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't mean anything to say my fonts are finished. What do you mean fonts are finished? Like uh, did you design all the languages available, even those that are not in the Unicode format that people have to you know copy and paste the glyphs inside their design to make a sentence? Did you design all kind of Weights and static and like, I, I know that Google Fonts they have this project. I think it's it's Noto the Noto font family. I think that they try to aim to have as many languages as possible within the whole font family. It's an amazing project, but it's it's virtually not possible to do that. It, it will be one day for them to have everything encoded in a single font family, uh, but we take a lot of time and. Make a super, super massive, big file to use,
0: and <laughs> I wouldn't bad. recommend. It
1: doesn't make any sense, you know. Like having having everything in a single file, like it's going to make your your actual computer crash or slow down. I don't know. I've not tried it, but um, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. There's always room for improvement. Turning is never perfect. There's always uh, something that you can improve. And um, but, you know, like we try to aim for something that is uh, perfect. And that is obviously not possible to do, but it's, you know, it's like a like in life, like you aim for happiness, constant happiness. And sometimes, you you know, it's not here, but, you, you know, you do your best to aim for that.
0: That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Never thought of it that way, because like all we see is like the typeface that we get to use as a font file. Mm-hmm. And then we just go about our day. okay we, we publish our poster design, we published our website. I guess also it's, it's very similar to product design where you're designing something, but there's always a new need. There's always a need to grow. There's always a, a problem that, that you know the, the, the user doesn't know how to do something. so we got to make it easier for them that way. but then you break something else, so you got to go back and fix that thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this balancing act uh, like you said, but with like like same thing for happiness, you're always trying to seek happiness and you know you're never going to be 100% happy all the time but it's it's not about the destination it's about the journey exactly right?
1: exactly and you know it's uh, so it's, it's a very subjective thing uh, or, or business it's uh, for example when i i design stuff i always like to have fonts uh, tight the space in between i like it tight in the font. same Yeah. Um, but this is uh, complete erazy in uh, in terms of designing font. Like you need to have something that breathes, you know. Like you need to have this white space all around the letter so they breathe in, breathe out. Um, but and but aiming for this kind of font family uh, forces all designers that want to use the font in a display manner to use either optical um metrics in InDesign or current things on their own. So it's not perfect for designers who aim for display font use, right? So and and again like in, in my head when I said when I hear finish and I, I hear perfect, you know, and it's it's not something that exists in like in, build the house and see if it's perfect and finished, man. Like, you're going to spend all your weekends in that place, like, fixing stuff.
0: But you do have to, like, in a sense, publish it, right? So you have to have at least a milestone which you're happy with, yeah. right?
1: Okay. Yeah, we do. Um, the milestone we have is, like, you you fix some kind of boundaries. Let's call it the, the this way. Um, like a minimum character set, um, for example, uh, uh, maybe a certain number of language covered minimum, uh, a certain quality in the design. It's basically what we call a QA, and a you know, like you... Um, is the design constant? Does the glyphs make sense, all of them? Like, do we have a glyph that looks super weird in the font family? Is the space well done? Do we have any kerning errors? Do we have any display mistakes? Uh, Do we have any um, installation problem? And so on. But like, if you check all these boxes, okay, we have something that is useful and can be used. But there will always be room for improvement. That's why we update the font families. That's why at some point we looked at APOC or CERT and said, yeah, maybe we need to have more weights. Maybe we need to give people the, the possibility to use different weights in APOC. Maybe we need them to be able to have, you know, a single file to go from Roman to Italian. Hmm.
0: That that sounds like it's not consistent though through every typeface, right? Like every typeface, you're like, you know what? Let's go the other way this time.
1: Depends uh, exactly, like you you. For example, when you look at the at type catalog, there is two kinds of catalog. There is the blaze catalog with um, a, a font families with an, a super large character set, with tons of glyphs and shapes and, and different stuff. And usually are, those are big font families with a lot of weight and styles, etc. And then you have the box. And the box is a, a more of a playground and an experimental ground for us to use. In the box, you will find more display font families. And since we know that these font families are going to be used mainly in big sizes, um, sometimes they don't need to have a lot of weight, a lot of styles because they won't behave properly. And sometimes like, uh, for example, in some of these font families, it doesn't make sense to design fractions because there's no way you want fractions in some of them. We do design fractions in all of them anyway, but you see my point. <laughs> There's some glyphs that are not needed in super high display companies. Like you want to have them in like five meters long, like it doesn't need to have like super tiny kind of eyes. So
0: let me ask you a really probably, I don't know how, you, how many times you've asked, been asked this question before. What is your least favorite typeface that you designed and that somebody else has designed?
1: Wow, Uh, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, Yeah. To be honest, I don't have any font family that I dislike. I mean, um, from all the people, like I don't look at people's work this way. To be honest. Um,
0: So you're never like,
1: oh, that that's
0: a shitty typeface. No, you're like, no, okay.
1: No, I don't have this.
0: So what's your favorite then? That's not not by you.
1: That's a really tough question, but I would go <laughs> with uh, with Univer from Adrian Petiguer. It's a um, classic. Yeah, it's a classic, definitely classic. Man, it is good. Man, it's good. Why?
0: Why, why is that one good, though?
1: Because when you look uh, before Univer, and you look at gro- uh, German grotesque or you, you look at the US, uh, not the US, but Helvetica and, and all this serif that flooded the world back then. Uh, the German grotesque, I feel are kind of, it's not, not that they are badly designed. It's like they are weird in the the, the shapes are like very, like corky in a way, you know, like there's, you look at accidents grotesque and he has this kind of weird, Shapes. I don't know if it's because the digital version of the, what we have now is was badly done, or I've never looked at uh, you know original uh, accident cortes cuts in real life, so I don't know if the original is like this, or if we have like bad digitalization because we do have like very bad digital versions of some of the folks, like the first. Versions of Helvetica that you have on your computer, uh, maybe not today, but back then that was like the worst kind of digital version of a phone that you would imagine. Like it was crazy bad. And um, so, when you look at the universe, it's it's uh, it's it's constant in the way the shapes are done, and it's very human in a way. It's like when you look at, for example, the C or the S and any glyphs that have uh, terminals, it really feels like it was drawn, you know? And it doesn't feel mechanical. It really feels like you have a human being who designed it. And it has this kind of warmth that still works well today. That's why I think it's still a great family to work with. Um, you know, It's constant. And it's still warm and it's not cold, you know? And um, we, re- we raised the font family, uh, like we, it's a, a shadow release again. Like we, we will maybe communicate and like publish stuff about it in a couple of months. I don't know. It's called Santis. Uh, and it's a mix between, it's like, okay, to make it simple, let's say, uh, we have Elvetica and you have Univer and they made a baby. And, uh, let's imagine that would be the bait, you know, like it's, um, it's warmer than a Vertica and it's colder than Univer. Uh, and you have like a, a newer version that is, uh, closed terminal and then you have a, a grotesque version with open terminal. But yeah, Univer is a damn good font to work with. I mean, uh. But yeah, even for like designers who don't know how to pick fonts and are struggling with it, like you can go the Massimo Vignelli road, you know? Like if you don't know what font families to use, like check Massimo Vignelli and he made a whole carry working with like five, five font families. Yeah, he Helvetica, Times, Garamond and Dido. And I don't remember the last one, you know?
0: Classic. So actually, I was, that's, I'm glad you brought up Helvetica because it's, I think, i mean it, it's the world's most famous typeface mm-hmm. uh at least for for sans serif um why do we need to cr- keep recreating typefaces similar to Helvetica when we already have the greatest typeface ever made
1: um okay so not,
0: that's a joke i'm not i'm not saying it's that good but it it's there is something no, but to i mean it it it's said. A, like, it's
1: a very down. interesting argument to to speak about uh uh, whether or not this is the greatest font of all time because you you already have to put up some some things to measure this like uh, is it because uh, like what makes a font great is it the uses is it the quality of the design is it because it's uh, it's it made hundred and millions of dollars i don't know like uh, what what are the metrics to measure what makes something good um so Okay, to answer your question, I will ask you a, a question. Um, okay. Do we need more clothes?
0: Do we need more clothing? Um, well, if you ask a the designer, they're going to say, I just need black clothing. So <laughs> for, that's a bad question to ask me. But for other people, I think that in, personally, I take your side of the argument where um, there's always an opportunity to show a personality and show a different point of view in what you wear. You communicate to other people who you are by what you wear. They say, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you absolutely can. Oh, you, oh and yeah, do. definitely. We all do it. Yeah. It's, it's biologically programmed into us. Yeah. It's not nice to say that, but that's the truth. And definitely. I think, Personally, if I was to answer the question, I'd say, "Yeah, of course, we need more clothing. We need new designs. We some, maybe we bring back the older designs, but like, you know, <laughs> we want to we want to at least have That's a mixture goal. of op- options." Yeah.
1: So my cat is attacking me because I haven't fed her yet. <laughs> uh, come on, I'll be back. Um, <laughs> so uh, I like the, uh, the analogy that you made that you, you express yourself through clothing. Because in the end, it's pretty much the same thing with fonts, you know? A company like I I am... Some times ago, I did an introduction for Slanted. And uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what it is that uh, I wrote, but there was an analogy with with like, you know, a brand, the logo of a brand is like uh, their suit, for example, the way what they wear. But the font is the, the tone of their voice. And it's super important when you meet someone Like the tone of the voice makes, you know, like it's a big deal. And aside from the, from the expression itself, you know, like maybe we don't need more fonts because we could definitely be working with whatever is already existing because there is already a lot of different things to work with. But it would maybe erase a whole generation of designers are capable of creating new amazing stuff and suppress their voices as well. You know, I look a lot like we we launched the box, especially to promote and distribute the work of young designers from all around the world uh, because it's uh, like I remember, like I remember having being twenty, and you know, uh, it's always hard when you get out of the studies to, uh, you know, to to find your first your first uh, your first deal, your know, the first release, and everything. So we try to help the help youngsters uh, releasing their first work, and you know, have this in their their background. Um, but the uh, what what I mean is like. Uh, check the box and see some of the display fonts there. I mean, some of the designers that are on the box are in their 20s and they are crazy, crazy good at their work. And they come up with design like this that I would have never, ever considered. Like, it's, it's insane how good they are at imagining some shapes. Even for sense, like if you see Dudler. It's like this weird reinterpretation of avant-garde Gothic, but it's in, it's insane the shapes, the way it's designed, the the angle and everything. It's like I look at it and I'm like I'm amazed at the designer behind it. Like, how did you come up with that? You know. So yeah, we need more phones. Like we need more people to to try type design and and work their way around it. That's that's also why we released the book to teach people how to design fonts, And that's why we priced it as cheap as possible. It's because like design studies are super expensive, especially the type design one. And there's not a lot of schools teaching that. There's few resources online. Most of the classes that teach you the workshop and everything are super expensive. So, you know, I think like having a decent book and and some time to, to study is actually all you need.
0: And especially um, the motivation to practice.
1: Yeah, definitely. You need to do that every yeah. day.
0: Yeah. I wish I had time. I, my, my final project in school was to create a typeface. Oh. I asked my professor and I worked with him on, on creating a typeface together. And I never finished it. It was just the exploratory nature of like figuring out how to actually do it, going from pencil and paper to digital. And it, it's, it's incredibly fascinating. And I really do wish I finished it. And maybe one day I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll make one but uh, right now I'm more in the product world and trying to do all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, a, it's right now it's a dream of mine, but uh, I'll, I'll get to it one day. So I have one last question because I know we mm-hmm. have to wrap up soon. The entire podcast, every episode I ask this, the entire podcast is about how you're shaping the world of design. I'd like to ask you, how has the world of design shaped
1: you? <laughs> uh- I think it it made me more humble in a way showed me like it, it, the world of design when you when you experience uh this work in your in your very self I think it changes you like you don't see the world in the same manner as before it's not only about like uh you know whether or not uh, this chair is functionable or, or not, you know it's like you try to see the beauty in everything around you. And you don't overlook stuff, I think. So that's that's what I try to do now. is I try to not overlook things that I used to you not know, not care much about when I was younger. Um because there's inspiration in everything around. And the world is full of surprise. I love that answer. Thank you.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the pod. This is an amazing podcast. I love getting into detail. We'll have to do part two of like a super advanced, like detailed how do you draw an O or something like that. But sure. um, This
1: time I will share my screen. No worries. Oh,
0: absolutely. (laughs) That'd be awesome.
1: We can definitely right, do that. Really- we we can talk about that later. If you have some people that would be interested in it, we can definitely hope do something like that in later months for sure. Perfect. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: My pleasure.